This podcast is sponsored by Cardavi. Cardavi improves the way you manage and share your business and transaction documents. Be more organized, professional, and productive with document sharing applications designed for real estate. Cardavi is a simple and intuitive solution that allows you to manage and share documents from your smartphone or iPad while you're on the go. Proven Path listeners can save today by signing up for $5 a month, a 50% savings. Just visit Cardavi.com. That's C A R T A V I.com. And click the promo link at the top of the page and use the code CRS Proven Path. Hi, welcome to the Proven Path podcast. I'm here with Jim Kinney, who's the vice president of the luxury homes division for Baird and Warner. Jim, I know you're a very successful guy, but I'm kind of interested in your journey. How'd you, how'd you start out? Uh, how'd you get into this business? Thank you, Eric, for having me here today. It's a long journey. I uh, started this uh, not originally coming into real estate as a first career. It was a second career for me. Uh, after school, I got into the advertising business and was in advertising in downtown Chicago. And uh, what, si- what side of the business? Were you on the account side or the creative side? At creative. Actually, it, it, it was a very niche market. It was uh, we did uh, drawings for uh, retail establishments for their ads, basically drew on figure. Uh, At that time, photography was not very strong and everything was drawn on figure. And I ran a small art house and I worked with the clients and layout and design with the finished artists. Yeah, I I come from an ad background as well. I come from the account side. But uh, tell me a little bit about how how you went from the ad biz to real estate. Right. Well, we were doing very well uh, in our specialty uh, ad line in Chicago. But like anything else, it gets old after a while. And the funny thing is I got tired of working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and ended up going into a business where you work 24 hours, seven days a week. But uh, I had sort of backed into real estate through being an investor. Uh, my attorney at the time, his brother-in-law, was doing condominium conversions and suggested that I talk to him and understand what was going on there. And it was an inflationary period in the 70s, and the real estate market was doing very, very well. And so I started buying and flipping, what we call flipping today, uh, units. I'd hold anywhere six months, nine months, a year, and turn them over, and you had very healthy profits at that time. So as the 70s was coming to a close, and I was getting a little bit uh, burnt out of the ad business, I thought, well, this is, this is sort of a cool business to be in. Maybe a change from an investor and go in where I could sort of keep an eye on my portfolio, but work with clients so I could pick up some uh, ready money on the uh, working side and some capital gains money on my investment side. So I got licensed in 1979 and jumped into the market in 1980 only to have the market crash, basically. <laughs> nice timing. Nice timing. Um, but... I'm continually asked by people coming into the business if it's a good time or not. And I think it's an excellent time to get in the business right now. From my own experience, uh, if you can get in and make a living in the bottom of the market, you know uh, that you'll do well as the market picks up. And uh, the good thing for a new person, this kind of market gives you time um, to get settled. Uh, Things aren't moving so fast. You can get your education. You can make your contacts. How important was that for you to get your the education part? Uh, strangely enough, at that point in time, uh, in Chicago, the primary um, downtown uh, MLS board was not a realtor board. And uh, it took some years uh, 
of when I was selling. So I'd have to say in my early period, I was really not aware of the educational opportunities offered through NAR because we were not realtors at that time. Subsequently, the Northside Board merged with the Chicago Board of Realtors and became the Chicago Association of Realtors. Education jumped to the fore for me at that time because I was on the board of the Northside MLS, and through the merger, they made me head of the education committee, and Chicago had a school, a real estate school, so I became, as head of the committee, sort of the de facto principal, if you were. So I felt if we were going to be in education and I was going to be the spokesperson, I better know what I was talking about. So in 14 months, I went out and I got my GRI, my CRS, and my CRB. So I was in class an awful lot that year. And uh, I went back to my agents. By this time, I had become uh, the manager uh, of the office. So I went back to the office and made a policy where the office paid for the agents to get their GRI. And I hosted, in collaboration with CRS, I hosted a CRS course here in Chicago and had all my agents go take the course. And at that time, um, I had a smaller office and people who had been in the business a long time. So they were able to take advantage of the 10-year-plus program and get their uh, designation. And we had, it was very interesting at the time, I had an all-female office and they only wanted a female instructor. So I had to contact CRS and say, I need the best woman you've got because these women really aren't going to listen to a man like they'll <laughs> listen to a woman. And uh, it's interesting. so we got a good instructor. When you first started out, you were not, obviously you were not doing luxury homes right off the bat. Um, how did you transition into the luxury home market? Well, like any new agent, when I started off, I was working my friends and family, my sphere, and people I knew from past business, and worked the floor calls. And uh, the company uh, had a very strong relocation department, and so I would do leads that came through the relocation department. And at that time, they had an REO division, and they put me in charge of the downtown REOs, and I worked at that time with Continental Bank and several other banks. Uh, getting rid of their REO inventory. And I did a lot of business, but very distressed sale type of business. My average transaction at that time was running about $74,000. So it, you had to do volume. And that volume allowed me to get very experienced with the process, uh, getting a lot of transactions under my belt. So, so is this market a little bit of a deja vu for you when you first started out? Very, very much in many, many ways. Uh, Right now in our MLS, over half the properties that are closing this year are distressed properties, either short sales or foreclosure properties. Uh, market time is, again, long. When I got in the business, one of my first listings I took because they were expecting their first child. When I sold it, they had three children. So uh, I have a, a propensity to be able to hang on to a listing for a long time because I think that's what we're going to see in today's market as well is until a seller is able to come to the marketplace, they're going to be on the market for a long time. Yeah, so you need a lot of tenacity in a exactly. market like this, right? Mm -hmm. So how, when did you make the, the leap from, from doing, doing volume to doing luxury homes? Well, I, uh, as I said, I started in, in 80 and worked that market through the early 80s and then started moving into the higher price properties, sort of mid-80s. Um, as we saw the market come out of that bottom, um, I sort of 
um, started representing higher-end homes and made the first sale in the city of Chicago for a home over $500,000. The market progressed. I sold the first home that broke the million-dollar mark and the first home that broke the $1.5 million mark. So that got me through the balance of the 80s, and in the early 90s, I shifted from selling to management. And uh, I had uh, felt like it was an interesting thing. I was sitting with a client in their living room one day, and I was doing a listing presentation. And I had one of these out-of-body experiences. And all of a sudden, I was out there in the other world uh, planning my vacation and doing all kinds of things. And I sort of looked down, and I saw myself sitting there with a couple doing a presentation. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm on automatic pilot. And if I know this and see that I'm ha- this is happening, how long is it going to be until the client realizes I might not be 100% uh, in the moment? So I said, it's time to, to do something different. And I looked around, and I thought, well, the fulfillment I'm looking for will probably come out of working with agents. I felt at that point in time I had gotten a lot of experience. Um, the joy of nurturing a client is one thing, but to take someone who's just entered the field and help them make deals, help them understand the process, I felt would be good for me. And so that's I became the manager of the Rubloff Gold Coast office in 1992. And uh, it was a small office at the time. I had about 40 women. And uh, we started growing and working that market. I became the president of the company the following year in 1993 when our company, who was a large commercial company, sold off its commercial division. So last man standing rule applied and I became president of Rubloff Residential Properties. At that time, uh, myself and the two gentlemen who came in to buy out the rest of the partners decided to grow Rubloff and so we built it up, opened several other offices in the downtown Chicago market and a satellite office over in the Michigan second home market and uh, grew that and I was in that until about two years ago, and Rubloff was acquired by the Prudential franchise. And I'm not really a franchise guy by background, and I had worked at Baird & Warner in the early 80s, so they made me an, uh, an offer to come back and run their luxury homes division, since by that time it was very synonymous with the luxury market. It sounds like you uh, get a lot of joy out of helping and imparting your wisdom on your agents, what, what, what sort of things do you tell them? Well, one of the most important things is know your inventory. And when you come into the business, you might not have a lot of immediate contacts to get listings or buyers, but you're going to get leads, and when you get one, you have to know what to do with it, and you have to sound knowledgeable. And Chicago, if, if you're working the downtown market, it's fairly easy because it's a very vertical market. So I tell a new agent, you get out there every Tuesday on broker opens, you see everything, and if you want to specialize in the high-end market, you should be in as many properties as possible because certainly in this market, often people, if they're not selling, will decide to change brokers. And if they call and you're on floor and they want to make an appointment, you're 100 yards down the field if you've already been in their home. And then it, it shows that you, you have a knowledge base of that market. So I really stress knowing inventory. What about somebody who doesn't have your pedigree? Uh, you've sold the first $500,000 home, the first million-dollar home. So it's easy for you to 
go out and find sort of the high net worth clients, somebody just trying to crack that, how, how, do, they, how do they get into that set? Well, if, if you're called on a listing, and, and, we, and we see it happen all the time, uh, where a brand new agent will get a floor call and someone wants them to come over, well, I will work with them to price the home in advance. I think that's very key. Um, so I always say I'm, I'm available even to go with you to look at the property, to help price the property. But in a presentation, I like to see an agent sort of accomplish it on their own if possible. And if you don't have a long track record, I always say use the royal we. And so I, if I'm there, I can say I sold this house in 94. I sold this house. You know, I, I go in where people tell me they put in a new kitchen, and I knew they didn't because I'd seen it the last time I was around. But a new agent, I said, if you don't have that, just use the royal we. Say we, as Baird and Warner sold, we sold this. And um, if they're really challenged and the client says to them, you know, have you ever sold anything? Uh, the response is, well, I'm very well trained. My company has trained me well, and they feel that I am capable. That's why they've hired me, and I have all of their support behind me. And in the support that uh, Baird and Warner has, we're a company that's been around since 1855. So we have a lot, lot of longevity. So I think, you know, if you if you can't say I, say we. What's the difference between selling a three hundred thousand dollar home versus somebody buying a million five home? It's actually easier to handle the high-end market on just the, the basic process. It is more the demands and expectation of the client on the marketing side. When you get to the higher price property, you have to be careful that they don't steer you down a money pit of advertising dollars that we know won't work. So you have to sort of educate them on the marketing side. But on the higher end, you're dealing with people who have sold probably several times before. So they've gone through the process. So on the lower end, you spend a lot of time uh, getting people qualified. You know, the higher end, they've qualified themselves, basically. They know they've, re they've refinanced probably 20 times <laughs> in this kind of market. So they understand that. So you don't have all of that kind of work to do. It's more focusing on pricing and marketing issues. The new buyer, it's, it's really uh, educating them to the total process, which is a little bit more time-consuming. So it's not unlike the advertising business, where if you, if you have somebody who has a million-dollar budget, that's way more work than somebody who has a $500 million budget. Ex exactly, exactly. You have, there are more compromises to be made, and, and, and every penny counts more. Uh, you know, when you're sitting there trying to get enough money together for closing costs, it's a lot different than dealing with someone, whether they're going to spend a million or a million one on the end product. All right, one last question for you. What keeps you motivated these days? What keeps me motivated? Change. I love change. Uh, why I got out of advertising, it wasn't that there wasn't a lot of change, but I was doing a lot of the same things over and over. What I love about real estate is no matter how you plan your day, when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be different because you get a call, all of a sudden, all bets are out the window and you start running. You know, I always tell the agents, run with the money, <laughs> okay? So, uh, you know, in my early days, I missed a lot of personal things. I had to cancel my uh, 
subscriptions to the theater, to the opera, because invariably a client would show that day and I would miss a performance. So I learned to do my personal time in a more spontaneous manner, uh, manner versus uh, having set plans and being able to run with the business. I think right now the challenges of this marketplace are great. The creative will survive. It forces us, um, you know, in, in the early 80s, we did creative financing, owner financing. We came up with different ways to keep transactions going and together. These days, similar things are at play, and the people who are doing well are finding solutions to those problems. All right, Jim, thank you very much. Uh, give you a quick plug. Where can, people, where can people find you? They can find me at Baird & Warner, the Gold Coast office. My direct dial is 312-981-2081. And I'm Jim.Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y, at BairdWarner.com. All right. You've been listening to the Proven Path Podcast. We'll see you next episode. This podcast is sponsored by Cardivy. Cardivy improves the way you manage and share your business and transaction documents. The opinions expressed here are the views of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Council of Residential Specialists. Thanks for listening to the Proven Path Podcast. If you have any questions or topic suggestions for the show, send an email to solutions at crs.com.